to the nears.org Christmas special. Joining us for this very special segment is Dr. Lauren Starr. And Lauren reached out to us um, through LinkedIn. And when I took a few minutes to look through her profile, I said, this is absolutely perfect for our audience. The timing couldn't be any better. And she speaks upon, and actually, you know, it's what she bases her, you know, practice on is, a really important subject and it's inclusion diversity and equality and we hear all about it most of us probably don't under really understand it um our segment is made up of a lot of people like me white male over 50 and i think you know from that standpoint alone we probably have more questions than we have answers at this point in time and with that Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us how you've come to specialize in what you do. Ah, John, thank you so much for having me and hello to all your listeners and viewers. Um, yes, I'm a workplace inclusion psychologist. I head up DEI for an organization. Um, I'm a thought leader in the space, at least I like to think so. Um, I really got into, and, and you're right, right? We look at trends in business and in the transportation industry where we're looking at truly our boomers, right? Who are soon going to retire. Um, it is critical um, that we are building organizations that are inclusive to attract the diversity. So a little bit about my background. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not the typical DEI practitioner in that I understood inclusion at a very young age, thanks to Uncle Sam. Uh, I like to think the military calls it forced inclusion, um, where, you know, I'm a veteran and back in the 90s during the first Gulf War, if I couldn't trust the person next to me to have my back, I, I'd be dead. Um, and at no point could I say, oh, wait a minute, can I have someone that looks like me? You know, it, it was really just random or skill-based as to how we got paired up. So it's not uncommon to see, you know, a, a difference in ethnicity or gender in the military pairing up together and, and we come to rely on each other. So inclusion is my foundation. And as I worked in corporate America and then started my own consulting firm, it appears, no, I'm not going to say it appears, look, we've gotten it wrong. Um, organizations, especially in transportation, we've become so lens focused in on numbers, right? On we want X percentage of women in the board or a person of, you know, people of color in, uh, uh, in leadership. And, and what we're missing is that the organizational culture doesn't support it encourage it and it's not inclusive all you're doing is throwing money out the window and and if there are organizations out right out there right now that are listening and going huh if you want to continue to just throw money out the window just write me the check um i'll spend it on pretty things and right nothing will change but that's what organizations have been doing so yeah my focus really is on that evidence-based inclusion and taking everybody back like level setting because you said it john right what is dei and most of us don't know we do know but we've heard so much rhetoric around diversity that the true definition gets lost so for for a moment because i still want to say like right here in the beginning you know and you said it, our generation you know and i think is 
a little bit divided, you know, how we think. It's just like a country. We're so politically could divide it. If we if we even bring this up, well, you're just woke. Um, but or maybe you're just a good person and really care. Yeah. I mean, there's two ways of looking at that. And you know, on my side, I have a I have a 20-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. And you know, what we always used to say was she's always been colorblind. It didn't matter. Good people are good people, good friends were good friends. And from our perspective, we always thought we were doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Now we're told, you know, or we hear that being colorblind isn't really correct because people have their differences. Yep. So what would that go to mind? So I'm in your standpoint, I'm an HR person. I'm looking to hire the right person, but I also want an organization that is inclusive, that maybe takes that into effect. What am I doing right? And what am I doing wrong? Yeah. So, so again, colorblind, right? That was such a trendy word back in the nineties. Oh, I'm colorblind. And what that meant to many of us was I'm just accepting up everybody as, you know, as who they are. Um, and then it became politically incorrect to utilize that word. So what we've actually in diversity, what we've done is created a trauma response, right? Think about that. It's a, it's a trauma response now that, oh, I can't say that. That's a trauma response. Um, so we want to build our organizations in inclusion first. And John, you said something really important. You want to hire the right person, the qualified person, first and foremost. Now, if you have an organization that has an organizational culture that is inclusive, and let's level set here. Inclusion means that the person that you employ feels that they are part of something bigger, that they're heard and have a seat at the table and can openly share ideas. And what makes us different, we build upon, right? Those are strengths, not weaknesses. That's inclusion. Who doesn't want to work for a company like that? But yet, companies like that aren't the norm right now, um, right? And companies are focusing on, on quota attainment instead. But when you have that inclusive organization, right, it becomes part of your culture brand and people talk, right? You don't have the turnover. You see, you're seeing higher retention numbers um, and we're seeing so much more productivity when your organization is inclusive, we're seeing so much uh, problem solving and innovation goes through the roof because we're starting to not only understand each other in the workplace, but you're now starting to understand your end customer. And when you can understand your end customer, you can anticipate the problems that they're going to have before they actually become problems, right? Your solution forward. That's what an inclusive culture will do. And when the word gets out that you're inclusive, diverse candidates, individuals that have different affinities, right? Our affinities are what make us unique. We all have different affinities. Um, my affinities, right? I'm female. I'm a veteran. I have two disabilities. Those are what, right? I'm also a mom. Uh, I am straight. Those are all my affinities. I'm looking for an organization that's going to take all of those, take me as I am, and build upon that, that's how you attract that diverse candidate that's marginalized. And let's, right, when we talk about diversity in the work in the workforce, we're really talking about attracting a marginalized employee. Okay. So with that being said, and I mean, we hear about it all the time, it's hard to find labor, period. 
It is. And one of the questions that I recently heard um, at another conference I was at, somebody from Disney was speaking. And what that gentleman said was one of the first questions they're asked by millennials or Gen Z coming into the workplace, what is your stance on, you know, inclusion and diversity? And from his standpoint, it's becoming more of a deciding factor than the pay scale is. Mm -hmm. Is this a trend you see continuing? Is this something that is because it is the buzz right now? Or what are, you know, take me back. How did we get here? And is this really the direction we're always going to be going in now? This is the direction. So either get on board or be left behind. This is the direction. And, and here's the beautiful part, right? We look at Gen, we look at our millennials and we look at Gen Z. Let's pick on them for a second. Um, if, if you have any negative connotations around millennials or Gen Zs, we raise them, right? Uh, those of us that are Gen Xers and baby boomers, uh, that's my fault. Yes, I raised an empowered child. Um, and you know what? Everybody likes trophies. Even I like trophies. So let's take that off the table. Um, they are, right, they are products of their environment and they have been hearing from their parents and grandparents about exclusion in the workplace. So naturally they want inclusion in the workplace. They also work at a much faster pace than traditionalists and baby boomers and Gen X because they get technology. They absolutely get right there, the technology hub um, at this point. And they want to see a workplace where they're valued because they've listened to their parents complain about not feeling valued in the workplace. Yes, this is the direction we are going, right? Organizational cultures right now, the book of business is absolutely transformational, which means everything matters. Look, in the 80s and 90s, it was transactional. You give me this, I give you that. You buy a train ticket, you ride on the train. Okay, if the seat was ripped, you know what? You bought the train ticket, you're going, it's going to get you there. Done story. Um, if you have a conductor that's rude, eh, whatever. Um, if you have an all white staff, it is what it is. It's transactional. I bought a ticket, I'm getting to New Jersey. It's not how it is today. I know when I ride the train, I am I am buying an experience. And that's what we call transformational business. Um, same thing with shipping product, right? It's an experience. Look at what Amazon just did for their drivers, right? It, you can th say thank you to your Alexa and that driver will get an additional $5 in their salary as a thank you, right? It, it's the experience, right? Amazon is now going, okay, how do we get our drivers to be more transformational? I love my drivers. They, they've become part of my family because I receive a lot of packages um, and they, they do, they become an extension of the family which keeps me buying from Amazon rather than jumping to another store. That's transformational. And inclusion and diversity is at the core of that transformation. We are globalized now. We're no longer just a national business. We're globalized. We need to catch up. So let's factor in, you know, the thing we've all been talking about for the past couple of years, COVID comes along. Totally changes the way we do business once again. So now many companies are meeting just the way we're talking. Yeah. There's no office environment. There's no ever going into the office. 
And this is how business is being done, which has to create yet another factor. How, so say I'm a small company. I'm not an Amazon. I'm not a Disney where I have a big staff, but I'm a small company. I'm a supplier. I'm a machine shop. How do I start, you know, from the basics? How do you change the mindset or do you, how do you say to that guy with a crew of 30 people? Yeah. You know, if you really want to get talent, if you really want to get somebody under a certain age to come work for you, they're looking for, you're right, an experience because yeah. they want to be accepted. They want to be appreciated. And maybe they don't want to come to work at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, maybe that's what the job calls for, but things have changed. Mm -hmm. so how do you take a, somebody, you know, that is coming to you and is just saying, listen, I can't hire people. They tell me, you know, I have a bad attitude because all my people look exactly the same. I have expectations that might not be realistic anymore. Like, how do you even start that conversation with somebody? Yeah, I think we first have to take a look at where are you located? Because diversity is part, right? It is going to be based on your community. If you're up here in New Hampshire, the only diversity we typically see is what type of flannel you're wearing and whether or not you're carrying a gun. Right, that's diversity. So it can't be a shocker that when I go into my, you know, service stations or whatnot, that the majority of people that work there are white men. Can't be a shocker there. So, you know, I always say, well, what's your community look like? Do you already have diversity? In other words, diversity is more than skin tone. Do you have veterans? Do you have individuals with disabilities? Do you have, you know, different religions coming in? What about sexual orientation and gender identity? Where is that in your diversity scheme? Because you're probably more diverse than you think. Um, what jobs don't you have to have in the office? I mean, I think if anything, COVID has really helped organizations become more diversified because now you can hire someone in Florida or someone in Alabama that might be in a segment population that is more marginalized, right? We can now find those call center attendants um, that have more diversity because our reach is bigger. So we have to start, We as, as a business owner, that's you know what has to be here and what doesn't have to be here. I think the other part is when we look at your job descriptions, what you're posting, what are the must-haves and what can be gone to the sideline? In other words, is five years five years experience, does that you know displace the associate's degree or the bachelor's degree? Um, if you need a certification, how are you going to help your employees get that certification? Right now we're starting to reach into communities that may not, right, that are socioeconomically challenged and we can pull them in and train them and help them get ahead. So there's a lot of different ways that we can bring in diversity. Diversity is not the issue, right? We, we wanna make sure that these employees that we bring in that are diverse stay. And if you're not inclusive, so then we take a look at what is the culture like? And I hear you, yeah, 7 a.m. in the morning, that's a tough call. You're, that's gonna be a hard sell for me to be in the office at seven. I'm in my office at eight. It's only an hour difference. But that seven o'clock, 
How do we incentivize our employees to be there at seven o'clock? Hey, maybe it is as simple as, I know this is going to shock you, providing bagels in the morning for breakfast. Because I know if I'm leaving my house at seven, I'm not eating breakfast. So it could be, you know, coffee and bagels every day. You come in, you have coffee and bagels, quick and easy, but it shows that you appreciate your employees, um, right? Have conversations with your employees, let them get to know each other and, and listen. Listen, 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 right? The, uh, part of the foundation of inclusion is listening to your employees and letting them solve the problems themselves. So you're bringing in Gen Z and millennials, and they are used to being told how to solve problems. Let them solve the problems themselves and let them fail and just be there to support them in that failure, right? Help them learn from that failure. Uh, the last thing you want to do is be, you know, is creating a workforce that's constantly coming to you with their problems. And we see this in transportation. Um, you know, there's a lot of news about transportation right now. I mean, it's a hot topic. And on as an inclusive workplace psychologist, I cannot believe the state that we're at that we're arguing over seven days of sick time. Who isn't given McDonald's gives six time like it just blows my mind right those are right those are organizations that you're just you're not going to attract and keep the talent you're creating a revolving door and honestly John you know this year in HR it costs a fortune to replace an employee it's one and a half times their salary at entry level it's a lot of money <laughs> And, you know, it's so much cheaper to retain. But Oh, my God, yes. And you, you hit the nail on the head. A few with your, you know, a few statements that you said, because number one, I didn't even think about degrees as part of diversity. Right. Mm -hmm. And one one reason as transportation industry, we are where we are at, because my generation, the boomer generation, we're all told when we were in high school, you needed a four year degree. And then you probably needed a master's degree because, you know, if you want to be in management, you need an MBA. And then, you know, you didn't need certifications and then you need this. And this is what was preached for 20 plus years. Oh, yeah. And now here we sit. There's not enough electricians. There's yeah. not enough mechanics. There's no welders. There's nobody that wants to drive a truck because we put a stigma on Votech. We did. And, you know, the only people that went Votech were the stoners or the stupid kids. And that's what was said by guidance counselors. I trust me. I, I absolutely hear I hear you. And, and what kills me is right. So I'm adjunct faculty at a local university. And I'm like, so you're getting a business, a four year business degree, and you'll be lucky to make 38 when you graduate. Like you would make more money if you. Yeah. So, you so the trade here, we first. Find, here we find ourselves. We need all these trades because what mm -hmm. everybody forgot about, the people who were skilled in their trades, they've retired. Yeah. They've moved on. And now we have no, but I've never, just myself, I've never looked at that as part of diversity. Um, it is. And so do you think, and just coming from that standpoint, these, you know, let's look at the bigger corporations down to the smaller ones. Do you think that mindset is still there of saying, I don't need that four-year degree. I really want that person who's been out there proving himself, working hard, 
And that might be my next candidate for a management position, an executive mm -hmm. position. Not, he only has a associate's degree or he only has 20 years experience. I, I will take 20 years experience over a master's degree. Like, let's be honest here. You cannot replace applied knowledge. You can't do it over book, over book learning. We're slow to adapt. So, and even in transportation, you're slow to adapt. Um, we're still requiring, I'm not talking about certifications, but we're still requiring that associate. My brother's a truck driver and he just recently got dinged on his performance review because he doesn't have a four-year degree. He's been driving a truck for 30 years. He's like, I'm not going back to school to get a bachelor's degree. He's a veteran. He's like, I'm, I'm like, I love driving. Right. I, I, I sit back and I'm like, what do you need the degree for? You have all this experience. He's like, you know, I manage the night shift. I do this, 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 but now they're saying for me to advance, I need to have a degree. And I said to him, go back to them, ask them what exactly, or what exact courses do you need? What skills are the gap versus the degree? Because it's cheaper to build skills than it is to go after a degree these days. And degrees are expensive. Even the cheapest of cheap, you're looking at 30000 a year. I have a daughter that's a sophomore in college. I it's know all about crazy. it. It's <laughs> crazy. It really is. It's crazy. I said to my kids, I have three kids. And I'm like, if you're not going like pre-med medical or engineering, I'm not paying for it. Because those are the two areas that you must have a degree in. Like if you're going to be an engineer, you have got to know advanced math. And sure enough, I have two engineers and a pre-med student. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. But, right? Like, I mean, that's, it's too expensive not to. It's, yeah. And that's where we've gotten to. Um, so I guess another thing as we throw it out there and look at it, when as an organization, as a board of directors, I mentioned this little, in our little pre-conversation here. Mm -hmm. We love to put together panels that are interesting, that appeal to a wide audience, but mm -hmm. at the same time, and I'm not talking about this current board of directors, but other boards I've served on, for a while there, we were looking at a speaker of color or woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, finally, you know, after a conversation with someone doing a podcast just like this, they said to me, I want to be picked because of what I know, not because of what yeah. color that I am. And I, I think, you know, that mindset doesn't only transfer over to, you know, looking to put together a conference, but I think employers look at this mindset a lot of time too, because, you know, look at a TV commercial. We want a TV commercial that represents everybody. Uh, yeah. And that's fine, right? I mean, because if they're a good actor, they should be acting. You, you know, that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter, you know? It's skill set, but we also want to represent, and I guess that's the equality part of it. Mm -hmm. And of course, every toothpaste commercial shouldn't only be a white person with shiny white teeth brushing. Sure. You know, there's other people that brush their teeth. There are. Um, but with that being said, is, am I right in saying that's still a mindset just in a lot of places that it's one or the other and trying to find that alignment is probably where we're at right now? I think alignment is where we're at. I think right representation is very important. 
right, in DEI, in society, representation is extremely important um, so that we see that full picture because we haven't seen it. Um, that being said, it has to be quality representation. Right? We don't want to have representation just for representation. Um, when I get tagged to speak at diversity conferences and we get on a Zoom call, they go, oh my God, you're white. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> or I look around and go, am I? I who knew? And I said, well, you know, I, you know, my affinities and I'll share them. And they're like, are you in a wheelchair? Are you white in a wheelchair? Cause we could spin that. And I'm like, what do you mean spin? I, don't, don't, don't bring me on board because I have a disability. You want to bring me on board for my thought leadership. You want to bring me on board as a speaker because of the skills and the talent that I bring to the conference. And when I have organizations or conferences say, mm, you're not the right color for us. I tell them, that's fine. Don't want to speak at that conference anyways, because your core message is going to fall flat and you're not going to get what you, right? You're not going to get what you think you're going to get from someone that is different than me. So Same in the workplace. It, so it, in a perfect world, mm. okay, throw politics out of it, throw <laughs> being woke out of it, um, if you had to say to an HR team, or if you had to say to a board of directors, this is where you should be at. This is what you should be doing. Like in brief, how would you approach that? What would you say to somebody? If I'm approaching uh, an HR team, it is all about your culture. It is all about your culture right now. Do you have that inclusive organizational culture? Do your employees feel that they're heard that they matter that they're part of something bigger because the from a generational lens the millennials and generation z's are outnumbering the rest of us that are retiring this is your new workforce um and we know inclusion builds retention so that's the first step. And then if they say to me, oh yes, yes, we absolutely are inclusive. Then I always say, show me your retention numbers. I wanna see who's leaving. I wanna see how many are leaving because really retention numbers show you exactly how inclusive the organization, right? Companies leave or employees leave due to culture and leadership. One and two, salary's number five. So, you know, the misnomer, oh, we're not paying enough. No, 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 no. People are leaving because of your culture first and, and then your leadership. And I think we, we still need to look at that and then apply diversity. But if you don't have that inclusive organizational culture, just write me the checks that you're going to be spending on the lack of retention. So, and do you, you know, obviously... You know, I, I do this with the financial analysts like ESG. Everybody's concerned about ESG right now. I'm not going to invest in your company unless you have these pulse. And they're so wishy-washy at this point in time, right? Yeah. It's They're making it up as they go. And I think, you know, a lot on this topic too, they make it up as they go, but this is personal, right? This is personal to the kid graduating high school. Mm -hmm. Somebody like your brother that's been employed for 30 years and all of a sudden saying he's not good enough because he doesn't have a bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, that's the part that, you know, I sit back and think about, it's like, I am so happy I'm nearing the end of a career, not just starting out in a career, because yeah. 
again, I don't know if I'm always right, you know, because I have my thoughts. Absolutely. And you try to be open to everything. I think if if you're half decent of a human being, you're mm-hmm. going to be accepting to everyone. You don't have to agree with everything, but you're going to be accepting. And mm-hmm. to me, I think that's the biggest challenge, right? Because you're raised with your norms and we're too far along to really change those. We could change perceptions, but... Can we? Maybe. Maybe, right? So, you know, you want to be receptive to that pain in the butt kid that's just in the workforce that, you know, we don't have a cappuccino machine in the office and he really needs his cappuccino before he could start his day. Yeah. But at the same time, you see the talent and the potential. So is he a problem? Is he an asset? And, or am I the problem? Because I have to start to recognize these things just a little bit better. Yeah, you're the problem. Or you're not going to retain that asset. You're not going to retain that talent. If if your worker wants a damn cappuccino machine, they're $69. Go buy a cappuccino machine. I know, right? And and we are not, and let let me me take a step back there. We are not um, catering to every want and whim. Right. We look at right that broad lens. How right? How do we make the workplace better? If it's that cappuccino maker, if that's what's going to get him into the office at 7 a.m., it's like the bagels, it's like the coffees, right? It's how do you make the workplace better? He trust me, he won't be the only one that's using the cappuccino machine. Others will as well. And I'm amused because I see. You know, many companies now getting rid of the typical office, opening mm-hmm. up more like a lounge, a coffee shop. But not only that, they're introducing alcohol into the afternoons, which, you know, again, our generation would be, oh, we can't really I'm have like, that. Did risk. you catch my face there? I was like, <laughs> oh, I hate that. That's an HR nightmare on liability. But, but they're getting a generation that typically don't talk face to face talking face-to-face because I could, again, I got 20 year old. I could tell you she's typing into a phone texting. I'm not, I'm not positive. She actually has conversations on her phone that involve voice. I know. Or she's pre-recording a message and sending it. I know. I trust me. I know. So, you know, in a lot of ways I see that that's a lot of ingenuity of people recognizing you might work remote, but you still need to have face-to-face personal conversations because Mm -hmm. great ideas come out of conversation not text messages or teams messages or whatever else we're using this week mm-hmm. but and I, I think that's a way too for you know joe who's never met kathy besides nasty email exchanges because they're always working at opposing ends to sit together in a room and actually have a conversation that doesn't involve widgets right yeah and absolutely it, it so i think you know from my perspective is the world is changing. Mm-hmm. Some companies adapt faster than others. But I always question if the company is doing it right. You, you know, there's extremes. And I think it just seems we're always at extremes with, with each other when it comes to topics anymore. And mm-hmm. that's why I said, is there, if you had, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, do you have an example of a company that is doing it right? Oh, God. Uh, right. <laughs> like I'm thinking like transportation companies that are doing it right. You know, I think. I think we have companies out there that are trying to do it right, right? We we look at one of the largest passenger lines, Amtrak. They are trying 
to do it right. Um, and, and here is where there is the miscommunication, misunderstanding. Are we focusing on the D, the I, or the E? Um, and, and how do we build that workplace culture to support our employees? Um, in, in my book, um, Evidence-Based Inclusion, I walk you through that inclusion paradigm of, you know, starting with awareness and making sure everybody's on the same page and what those outcomes look like, and then launching into level setting and, and um, you know, diversity networks or employee resource groups and, you know, initiatives that will drive, but it's, right, it comes back to allowing in inclusion, your employees drive inclusion. Top leadership supports it, but it's your, it's every individual employee in diversity leadership supports that. And the employee really doesn't have a role in that. So again, it's, it's building up your culture to support the employees that you're bringing on board. And you're right, Zoom and uh, Teams, yes, we can see each other face to face, but now we're starting to recognize different environments that individuals live in, but that does not replace the face-to-face -face connection. Um, we need to be creating a safe space in the workplace where we can have these difficult conversations. You know, I, I, I keep joking around with my family. I think my next book is going to be called Diversity Trauma because we have 60 years of trauma in the DE&I space where we don't know what to say anymore. We don't know what to do anymore. What's politically correct? What's not politically correct? What'll get you fired? What won't get you fired? We need to stop that. We need to breathe a little bit. And it doesn't matter what industry or what size your organization is. Employees, for the most part, want the same thing. And so. I think that's a great place that we're going to end this podcast on because there's so much more to talk about. Oh. And, you know, knowing that you're based up in New England, we have conferences there at least once a year. So I'm hoping when we reach out to you, you could agree to actually come and speak at one of I our will, conferences. absolutely. Uh, because to me, it's just been fascinating. I hope I didn't say anything that's going to get me in trouble. But that's the point of this conversation, right? That's because we're all going to say something that gets us in trouble at some time. And with that, I, I know you have a website. I know you have a few books. So please, by all means, tell us how people can reach out to you and what you're currently out there pushing. So I'll, I'll keep it really simple. Just go to Dr. Loran Star. That's L-A-U-R-A-N-S-T-A-R.com. You'll see my latest book on there, Evidence-Based Inclusion. It's time to focus on the right needle. Uh, I am 100% evidence-based. If I don't have an ROI on an initiative, it didn't make it in the book which is nice. Um, and you can connect with me on LinkedIn. And I really, I'm here. I'm in your corner. Don't feel like, oh, if I ask her a question, I'm going to get a bill. That is not how I operate. I'm here to support you. If you have questions, just reach out and ask me a question and I will absolutely give you an answer. But go to my website. That's the, the, the easiest and cleanest way to get in touch with me. Well, I really appreciate your time. I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Thank New you. Year. Yeah. And I really look forward to speaking to you once again. I love it. Let's do this well, again.